Hello and welcome to Access Chat. Today it's just me from the Access Chat team because Deborah's out celebrating her wedding anniversary. Have a great day off, Deborah, and Antonio is working. Heaven forbid us stopping from people from working. So uh, today's guest is someone that I've known for a very long time. Uh, it's Andy Black, and Andy is a business engagement and accessibility specialist at the Department for Education. He's here in his personal capacity, but I've known Andy as a person passionate about technology and education and the power for tech to do good things for oh, well over a decade since I was before I was working in my, my current job. So welcome, Andy. It's great to have you with us. Yeah. Hi, Neil. I think it's probably longer than 10 years if I really add it up. I think it's yeah. probably nearer 15, I think it yes. is, probably if I'm really honest about it. Yeah, great. Yeah, thanks for having me on, really. Yeah. Um, I better tell a little bit, bit, bit about myself, yes, I suppose, haven't I? Yeah, usual stuff. Um, I'm, uh, first thing to say is I'm a dyslexic dyspraxic. Uh, only recently diagnosed, but it's been written large throughout my whole of my uh, working life. So I'm 58 now, was diagnosed at 54. Uh, mainly out of interest uh but i've got a lifelong interest in lots of different stuff so so obviously technology learning and inclusion really my background is teaching and i've gone from teaching in further education colleges working with quite specialist people going under specialist training around nature conservation and that kind of stuff but also with students with specific learning difficulties and that kind of stuff and i think i was i've just been on a bit of a journey with tech and for me tech personally is a bit of life support you know i, I spent 30 years hiding my my dyslexia, dyslexia by using spell check and grammar checker with obvious amusement amusing results uh we all know that spell checker in the early days was quite an amusing thing uh uh but I, basically I've got an interest in quite a lot of stuff. And my big thing is I'm just passionate about that use of technology and, and maybe letting people use technology in ways that it wasn't designed to do, but use it in creative ways. So um, a long time ago now, it must be the mid 2005, 2006, I did some work with BSL, uh, British Sign Language, on um, iPod Touches, uh, when iPod Touches were the new thing. Uh, I am that old. Um, uh, and that kind of stuff. I've also got a bit of an interest also in things. My my, my late mother uh, had a slow onset motor neurone disease. So I'm really interested and, and sadly passed away after a 10 year episode of motor neurone disease, which is a long time for motor neurone disease or for your American listeners, ALS. Uh, and I'm, I'm passionate, interested in communication tools. So uh, around how that technology can help people communicate and engage with people. And I think it's just an interesting area. And I think we just live in exceptional times, really. Don't ask me. Sorry, sorry. No, no. So I'm equally interested in in communication tools, and and actually, just to flag up, in in a few weeks' time, we've actually got someone coming on that will be talking about communication tools and and uh, care robots and and all of this kind of stuff. So so watch this space on that one. Yeah, so so I, I mean, I, I did a lot of work in the early days with mobile phones and uh, working with primarily with, with deaf learners uh, around. I, I, I had the most amazing experience, of, one of the most amazing experiences of my life of being away with a, with a party of students that were deaf who started 
the way they just they just the way where they were using SMS to co communicate. Do anybody on the call remember SMS? It's an old technology now, I said. But it be something. It was the one thing that really lit my bonfire, and I did some very early work on basically integrating. Um, various uh, what were I don't know what you call them timetabling platforms I suppose to so basically to to text students what we thought we did initially for deaf students to say when room changes because if you turn up for a room and somebody's told you about it and you miss the message or whatever you don't you you can't you aren't able to lip read or it's in a no, very noisy environment uh, I then discovered within about 40 minutes of introducing it there were loads of students signing up to the same service because they basically were using it as a way of being digitally organized rather than digitally uh, chaotic uh, which i think is quite an interesting one really so so um sms is still a powerful tool even today um and and it's amazing um i think think back sort of 10 12 years ago when when i was working for insist and we were dealing a lot with students um we would really struggle to get hold of them and we'd be leaving answer phone messages and 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 failing to get hold of people and and this would delay the deliveries and delay repairs and take up loads of people's time and then we implemented an automated sms tracking system which told people when their their computer would be picked up when it was being repaired what the status was when to expect it back and it reduced the amount of effort tremendously because what we found out was that most of the students actually had um, even though they weren't deaf they all used sms because they had that bundled into their packages and they were using pay-as-you-go mobile phones this is before you know data packages so much uh, and they were being charged uh, an extortionate amount to pick up voicemails so they would never listen to them so all of the messages that we were leaving behind saying, your computer's ready, can we send you your computer? It's all fine. Never got listened to. Soon as we started implementing SMS, they were coming into us. So, so technology works in ways that you don't expect quite often. And, and, yeah. so, so, Joe, it's quite interesting. Obviously, in this time of COVID, it being a terrible time for people, we've done a lot of work. We, you know, I, I work currently in an organization that runs a team, a Microsoft Teams environment, and we've gone massive. We, 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 in the first few weeks of lockdown, we were running Skype for business, and we were just trialing Teams video and Teams um, uh voice calling and we went over and one of the things we've been using is auto captioning which is that thing again you think that's technology that only certain people will use for auto for captions and then we've discovered with loads of people not just those that you know that there's a very hidden community in lots of organizations that people that lip read sometimes without realizing it so they need to lip read just to they've got some degree of hearing loss but we also discovered loads of people that were maybe homeschooling children were trying to do calls while effectively uh devices were on silent but watching the, the thing and i think that's a really interesting area that develop of captioning and we've been you know that's using cognitive sort of voice services and the ai stuff which ai is always viewed as big bad and scary which some aspects really are big bad and scary but there's some stuff around there that i think is going to be a real enabler i think something we really want to, as a community we want to hold people's feet to the fire is such in a nice way so it doesn't discriminate but in a way that can be a really positive tool really so some technologies there that i think that are going to change the lives of lots of people but also people that require inclusion or accessible needs to a degree that i think will be 
can be viewed as quite positive. I think if we just make sure we get it right, it's quite interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that the 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 captioning stuff is really interesting. Um, a few years ago, automatic captions weren't of great quality. The, what we've seen is that the the quality has improved dramatically, and that the acceleration of that improvement uh, has increased during COVID. Uh, because uh, what what we're seeing is is all of these large companies, whether it be Microsoft or Google, or 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 for that matter, you know, Teams using plugins. Uh, sorry, um, Zoom using plugins. Uh, there's a, a mass of people using these services now and they're getting much better data and they're able to analyze it and build better voice models. So, so it, it is rapidly improving. And, and I totally empathize with the people that are having to um, use captions because they've got Baby Shark going on in the background. Yeah, exactly. No one should suffer that. Uh, you know, I think what's interesting is that you're saying that idea is that huge amount, that huge amount of data that's flying in, you know, data modeling, and that's quite an interesting one to look at about how that's going to pan out and how that's going to work. And I think we've noticed it dramatically how much think captions have improved with time. We've also noticed how there's some quite intelligent models coming around acronyms and abbreviations because you know everybody else, everybody loves it. You know, if you work in government or you work in an organisation, they love abbreviations. And um, we've know some really quite interesting work going around. So if you use a particular uh, abbreviation regularly, it'll pick it up and that kind of stuff. But I think there's a, there's a lot more to work in that area. And I think the other thing that we've started to use quite a lot is again with video, the idea of just using blurred backgrounds and stuff. And I think that's re re remarkable, really. And it's just that's an interesting one from an inclusion point of view. That's two different levels of inclusion. If you want a simple background because it helps you lip read, that's absolutely fine. But if you want to hide somebody from reading the, the, the password written on the back of your wall on the whiteboard or, or look at your critically look at your books behind you uh, and comment on, on, on your choice of books or your choice of wallpaper, it's just a, it's just a choice, really. Yeah. Now, I, I think it's rapidly um, changing tech. Um, that said, there is still something to be said for face-to-face you know, -face contact. Um, I know that I've found being on 10, 12 hours of Zoom calls and Teams calls and various different video calls day in, day out, is actually quite wearing. Yeah, there's been quite a lot, of, as, you, as you know, there's been quite a lot of work on that, really, because I think lots of things because people just don't put in gaps and people don't allow to put in gaps, which is one. And also, I think the whole way that the, the Internet, you know, the Internet, that's a terrible phrase, but the way the network of, of compresses audio and changes audio around and the fact there is a slight delay on lips and voice, I yeah. think it is just really tiring. I really notice Zoom fatigue, and we've developed some quite strong protocols in my team that work very closely with the teams of saying, if you want your video on, have it on with somebody you don't know for the first time for a few minutes, or if it's somebody you know really well, if you don't need your video, don't turn it on. I think it is definitely more tiring to do a video call than it is to do a voice call. And that's yeah. me per speaking personally. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't know. That's how I feel personally. So, so I, I tend to agree with you. I, I will turn video on for presentations, for things like this, for uh, initial meets. Uh, and then if it's people I know well, quite often I won't. Because we know each other, we can pick up the sort of nuances in each other's voice. 
Yeah. Um, what, yeah. I'm interested to think about, um, you know, some of the stuff from an education point of view. Um, we've obviously talked about people working from home, um, but the shift to education from home, I think it's probably even more extreme in that that wasn't something that was happening before. There was already a flexible working movement. What what are the things that you've observed over the last few months in terms of innovation and accessibility and to a certain extent, lack of it in, in education? I think what's really interesting is the fact that way that, that you know, that, 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 Anybody that's working with young people or older people, being in a learning context or a youth context, I'm massively involved with working with young people outside of work. So scouts, outdoors activities. If you look, look at my bio on the web, you'll find that kind of stuff. Uh, I think there's been some really innovative stuff gone on. I think there's also been some stuff that, that has always gone on of trying to reproduce what you do in a classroom via paper packs or whatever online. But I think on the whole, I think what, people have realized and and i've been i've been you know i've had some training myself and this is speaking from a learning development point of view i recently attended a training session where somebody tried to recreate a not a, a nine to five face-to-face training session on a nine to five nine to five online session and and if you want to try that as an experience i don't recommend it because even with breaks that is just exhausting and it just doesn't work to be honest so i think we see i think what is interesting the fact is and we've seen it with our our, our own uh, my own team and my own, own staff is we've forgotten the fact is that broadband at home might be great for one person to use broadband but if you get multiple people using the same broadband in the same place you get very you, you get a deterioration in quality I have got to say I'm I'm pretty amazed at how well the UK networks have stood up to traffic. You know, I'm not yeah. saying I'm not saying it's perfect, but if you look, I've only just seen the figures that, uh, from uh, looking at the growth of Teams calls or the use of Skype or whatever, and it's you know it's seven you know in the first few weeks of lockdown it was seven hundred eight hundred percent or more, and I think that I think. I think what what's interesting is we've we I think we've got a thing about and I, I as you know I started in the world of asynchronous learning so online learning that was a bit asynchronous so going back to I want to say news groups but I'm not that old really well I am actually but 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 asynchronous chats are posting up an yeah. idea and people corresponding a bit like you and I use Twitter really yeah. you know you know we use Twitter you put a question up you go away get on with your life come back to it i think i think there's something about how we use online tools in an asynchronous manner which sounds like an almost an anachronism doesn't it really when we're thinking about being online all the time but i don't think it is i think it's a way of just giving people content or ideas getting to go away go outside maybe clock collect content via uh mobile phones and, and video or whatever and then feeding it back in that way uh yeah I, and i and here's antonio it looks like he's managed to Skive off in time. So, uh, welcome, Hi, Antonio. Hi, Antonio. Um, welcome. So, um, so I think, yeah, the, the the idea of, and I'm old enough to have used newsgroups too, um, of the fact that we're we're a global community as well means that some of that asynchronousness is is still relevant because otherwise you're going to be trying to do everything in real time across the globe um 
And well, again, I've got, I've got, I've got an amusing story for you. I made the mistake of being a keen person. Saw an interesting event. Oh, Jenny Lay Flurry of Microsoft was speaking at an event, so I signed up yeah. at, uh, at seven p.m. Central Time, and yes. then realised it was one a.m. in the morning. Yes. Yes. Uh, 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 and at the time, they haven't yet said if they've recorded it, but I have gone back to them and said, oh, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. I signed up, got a bit enthusiastic, and then realised it was one o'clock in the morning. And I, you know, you know. <laughs> yes, well, yeah, we, we, we have quite a lot of that in, in, in sort of global organisations where, you know, uh, especially sort of where we're sat in the middle. So we've got people in India, so that their days are starting early and, 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 and it, it can mean for a very long day, especially if you're dealing with West Coast of America as well, because um, the 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 you just don't stop. Um, yeah, but, yeah. But but yeah, these these kind of things are, you know, having the the, the ability to record this stuff, you know, is is great. But how much do you think the the proliferation of all of these recordings? has just added to people's anxiety and FOMO um, because the, yeah, everybody's gone, oh, I've got a blog now. I'm going to do a podcast. And, and Yeah, it's interesting. I, I stopped blogging about, about it must be about 10 years ago when I changed roles in a job and I just stopped doing it. But it's quite interesting because it's a bit like, I mean, I'm going to go back to the time when I probably this time I first met you when Twitter was a very, Twitter was a new thing. Yeah, and I used to introduce loads of people to Twitter, and I pick up technologies really easy. It's just the nature of the person I am, being a little bit quirky, a little bit odd, off the ball, maverick, you want to call it. But Twitter was the one medium I looked at, and I didn't get it to start with. And I always said to everybody, "Give it three." And then I, it took me three weeks to get it, and then I got it. And the analogy I use with Twitter, and and it has helped me cope actually with this multiple lot multiple threads in life is somebody told me it, what's not original so I, i'd love to credit them but i can't but they describe twitter as a river you go swimming you, you know you go go for a swim in the river come out get dressed get changed or whatever and then get on with your normal life and then go back into go go back into it when you first look at twitter you assume that you know if, if you're a person like myself you want to read all of it yeah it's a yeah. bit like those, a bit like those jokes of downloading the internet, I suppose, isn't it? Really, you describe it, uh, and I think that's the thing that I, I don't have a massive fear of missing out, and I see it with other people, and I see it with people quite close to me who, uh, and and the effects of young people who pick up that FOMO fear, and and older people is quite interesting, really. I think it's just a, it's a, it, and the proliferation of tools and sources and recordings doesn't help, I don't think. No. I think we need to. Uh, I, I made the the mistake when I first got Twitter of finding a plugin for Twitter for Outlook. <laughs> <laughs> and I sort of opened up my inbox the next morning and there were 4,000 unread messages. And, and, and after about two weeks of this, I completely burned myself out and, and uninstalled the thing. So like you, I learned the hard way that you, you have to dip into this. <laughs> no, that, that remembers me uh, something that one of my old boss uh, did uh, in the areas before social media, where he, he, he was uh, arriving to work, he saw a car um, in, the, in the car park with the lights on, Oh, and he, he arrived to work and decided to email to, to everyone within the list. Oh, there's a car in the park with the lights on. So it was an overwhelm for three months 
getting reply emails. That's not mine. That's not mine. So <laughs> sometimes we, we can be responsible ourselves for, for the overloads that are coming to us. Yeah. yeah. So, I, I mean, we're, we're seeing all of these, you know, we've talked about captioning. Um, and captioning is powered by you know, speech recognition and, 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 and natural language processing, um, which is you know, one of the technologies that I've, I've used for a very long time. You, know, you, you said that you, you had a late diagnosis of dyslexia, what are the, you know, and, and that you covered it up through your use of technology. And you talked about spell checkers and stuff like that. What are the technologies that, that you're now adopting that you find to be useful? That's a really interesting one, really. Um, okay, I'm, 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 I'm a big user of Google in my private life, Gmail in my private life, and in work, I'm a massive Microsoft person. So uh, Microsoft, I'm a big Microsoft user. So I'm one of the things I'm in discussion with Microsoft, I use Accessibility Checker all the time. So I run it for, for me and I run it for them. Um, I also do a lot of read aloud stuff, loads of read aloud stuff. And it's quite interesting because we, like a lot of people, have used some products that are around some third party products. But now I just tend to use things like read aloud in Edge or, or voice over the voiceover stuff within, on a Mac. And I think that's something that during, again, during um, the times of COVID, the tales of COVID, I think there's some technologies there that I use, that other people have started to use because they've just got so much information. The ability to hear information read back to you, I think it's quite, is one that I quite, or quite often use. Um, my major tool for overcoming it is the fact I, I, I try and speak to people rather than than, than written stuff you know uh, and i also am very lucky i have a fantastic set of co-workers who i occasionally will do that very old school thing of emailing somebody and saying before i send this does this make sense uh because i still don't think we're there yet with some of the the, the, the tools around and i don't think um i think it's to be interesting how that goes really i think it's going to be really interesting to see that how, how that goes it is interesting that idea of you know we've had some quite interesting debates about you know, and I'm sure it's the same in the inclusion community about AI and privacy and data and everything like that. And if you talk to my 20 year old who's just about to start an MSc in machine learning in STEM, he said, well, you know, I assume I don't have any privacy, which is a pretty damning thing to say. But, I, but he's, he's willing to give up some of his privacy for his digital convenience, I think. Uh, and then that's quite interesting, I think. So, and in terms of media consumption, books uh, and text, uh, are you using any particular tools in, in order to, to, to follow up uh, in terms of uh, trends? Uh, what is your favorite way of consuming uh, this type of information? Right, okay. Uh, I use, uh, I'm a, I have a very bad Twitter habit, as I describe it. So I use some of the search tools in Twitter pretty extensively and that kind of stuff. Um, I also, during lockdown, much more so than I did before, I've actually started using LinkedIn, which is something I never really had, was, I would say I was present on LinkedIn, but I wasn't, I wasn't, um, 
a resident. I have a great, there's a great phrase by an academic called uh, John, uh, Dave White from, from who is now at Oxford University, I believe. And he used to describe people as, you know, the digital, I, I get really upset when people describe me as a digital native because I'm, I'm not a digital native and I don't, I don't believe, you know, I don't want to upset people, but I don't believe in the term. Uh, my phrase is I think I'm digitally resident in some things. So that, and I'll just explain what that means. There are things that I'm really comfortable so resident is when you visit somewhere and you're really comfortable. If you're a, and I'm not just a, I'm not just a visitor. I just don't pop in and out. So Twitter, I am definitely resident in. YouTube, I'm a visitor, I suppose. Uh, and LinkedIn, I'm become. I think I've just bought a holiday home in LinkedIn. Actually, I'm a bit resident and maybe popping in occasionally. Yeah, I, I, I'd, I'd actually, um, I, I use the this, this concept of being naturalised. Oh, I like that. I'll steal so, that. I will steal yeah. that if you're there. So, so I'm definitely not a digital native, but I have become naturalised, you know, and and uh, in in certain aspects of of digital. So, um, like you, yeah, very much a, a citizen of Twitterville, um, and have that holiday home in in, in LinkedIn. But um, but I yeah, I, I think they're different communities and very much. I mean, one of the I think. One of the reasons I really liked Twitter and why it maybe appeals to to dyslexic people is the brevity of it. So it's short, digestible chunks. Uh, so, so for me, yeah, uh, with with um, ADHD and dyslexia, you know, I can just about hold my attention <laughs> to read the tweet, whereas with reading through the entirety of a blog. Unless I'm listening to it and, and, and using the tools, it's, it's much more difficult because I will get, I'll sort of wander off. Yeah, I mean, I, I have I have some fantastic friends who 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 have just got a variety of access needs. I've got several, you know, uh, uh, people with some uh, things like dyslexia and dyspraxia, like myself, some people that are, uh, are either visually impaired, visually blind, or deaf, or whatever. And I just think it's just a really interesting community because of its very nature being primarily text based. And and we've all seen the fuss now a, a few week a few weeks ago. Uh, about uh twitter's lack of accessibility around uh video and, and and some of that kind of stuff and how they've just recently appointing an accessibility officer i think it was really interesting that community if you put a shout out to a certain and you and you you tag it in a certain way so so antonio it's a really interesting way of of of, of mining a community really really quickly and I, I i have a very good friend of mine i call drew buddy who's called digital maverick on twitter if you want to find him but he describes it as his Google. He will quite often, if he wants something solving, he will actually just put it out on Twitter rather than Google it himself, which sounds very lazy, but I think you just get to hear a different range of voices. And that's quite an interesting one that Neil was talking about is there are some tools that I just don't, you know, some tools that I just don't use and don't know about, you know. I occasionally, I occasionally look at Instagram. I don't, I've never used Snapchat in my life. Uh, you know, it's just, I think you just pick up the tool that you want to use. And I think that interaction between tools is quite interesting and how interoperability, how interoperable the tools are is quite interesting. No, and what I've is, I often use the, the Twitter as a, a search engine because it gives a, a, a more level of neutrality. It's less filtered than Google is. So I, I, I will end up with, with a set of results that don't get that algorithm filter that it gets on it, it gets on on Google, uh, and on the other end, I end up 
looking at people who have an interest, a particular interest on that topic, that I might have an interest on on connecting, or I might have an interest, okay, let me see what these individuals have been sharing over the last uh, no, four or five days. Maybe there's someone there, something that I, I might want to discover that I was not aware. The most fantastic one about that is just I mean, things I wasn't aware. I've got a fantastic friend of mine, uh, Adrian Higginbottom, who's A Higgy on Twitter, who I discovered during lockdown had fell into the thing. I'm a bit of a baker in my spare time. So a bit of bread making, you know, whatever. And, and like a lot of people, I started to do sourdough. It took too long, Neil, so I gave up because it just takes too much time. So my wife started doing, but but he he is a he's got a fantastic uh, Twitter feed. He follows uh, several uh, uh, people on Twitter with a hashtag baking blind, and it's people that are obviously blind and are baking. And there's it's just a fantastic community just to have a look at, dip into. And Adrian and I, Adrian has an interesting in te- massive interest in technology, but he's also got an interest in baking. And that's that's just the eclectic nature of just things you find out through Twitter, I suppose, really. Yeah. Uh, and tandem cycling, if I remember rightly. Tandem cycle, tandem. It's, it's tandem cycling. That's another one. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, um, yeah, I think that's a, it's an interesting uh, thing about technology. And yes, there are the sort of you know generational communities, that, and and the sort of the the migration from one platform to another as as generations uh, you know, abandon stuff as the older generations come onto it so you know you get onto facebook now and the kids are like i don't want to be on there because my parents and now even grandparents are on facebook um and they've moved to tiktok and uh and uh, 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 you know on, on instagram and snapchat so um that said I, I i do think that that there is still that cross-pollination uh, 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 across the social networks that's important and what we don't want to do is end up in segregated time. Uh, and Antonio brings up Antonio brings up a really interesting point about that that the algorithm filter that, that whole yeah. filter about how you look at stuff and even if you could compare it between search engines uh, and and one of the things I people used to think I had superpowers when I searched for stuff because mainly because I can think of random things to put in a search box to link things together Yes. You know, if you you know, it's a bit like if you've lost the file on your PC, trying to think, well, what did I call it? And then just, uh, and I think it's really interesting if you if you, that filter, if you compare between a US, you know, a, a, a UK a UK uh, based side of a, a certain certain search engine and an American one, or you go between the two or three major competitors, those differences in search are very marked actually, and I think that's a really interesting one from a perspective of just are we increasing our field of knowledge or are we uh, are we somehow uh narrow narrowing it i think it's just a really interesting i think it's going to be one of the interesting things to to look at in the next few years really i've been in a kind of a pursuit for uh for finding news on in the technology space from other parts of the world Uh, no not you know because when today when we go basically to every site in the english language is frequently dominated by everything that happens in the united states there are a few topics from the UK and sometimes from Ireland, but it is very difficult to tap into information that comes from other parts of the world. And I've been in the last couple of weeks trying to find uh, tools, ways to tap 
into that type of information because it's very difficult to, to find and sometimes more relevant, more innovative and more interesting than all the information that we get from Wired and from the traditional uh, uh, media outsets that cover technology in the United States. I think there's some, again, I've got a bit of an interesting, I studied for six months in, in India in the, after I finished my first degree in the 19, mid-1980s, so, you know, massively pre what we'd call the internet and email now. Uh, and I think what's interesting, if you look, and it goes back to our SMS conversation earlier, I think the way that SMS has been using in, in connection, I want to say communities at the edge of connectivity, so ones that are, and, it, and it's a bit like the parts of the States where a few years ago when you had great internet connectivity in the cities, but as soon as you moved out into rural areas, that changed. And that how people interact with information. And it is almost like an, in, it is almost like an asynchronous way that you're in, connect, you're in connection sometimes and you're out of connection sometimes. A bit like using a mobile phone in parts of the UK or parts of London even. But I think that's just an interesting one. And I do think that innovation often happens at the edge, not the centre. Uh, and I re I lived in New Zealand in the 1990s for a couple of years, and 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 I realised how uh, European centric our news is, uh, and I and I and I think you're quite right. It is and the internet is just an, a a massive um, uh, North North European North American filter. It appears at times. Uh, uh and uh, you know and if you don't we everybody on this call will realize that's just a minute part of the world population yeah uh yeah i i think also one of the interesting things is the the way that you set up your tools can really affect you know if you use them by default in their in their default settings they're going to feed you stuff that's filtered through the algorithm uh, you know, for the, whether that be Facebook or Twitter, you can turn off the Twitter one. And one of the things that I really loved about Twitter was the fact that it was unfiltered. Yeah. yeah. You know, uh, the only filter was the, the human being that had chosen the people to follow. Right. And, and so, um, you know, you can set up all of these lists and so on. And, and, and if you're in TweetDeck, you can still have all of these different topical lists and end yep. up with this sort of stream of consciousness of stuff, which is, completely unfiltered and i think that that that's really good in 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 terms of combating bias and starting to see stuff that that hasn't been sort of pre-chosen for from you because of your geolocation and your previous search history you know yeah. uh, or, or something that people want to sell you um and I think with the, I mean, I think going back to the inclusion, I think that's really important with the inclusion and accessibility stuff because it's really interesting about if you look at the models of, of social models of disability, et cetera. And I think it's just really interesting sometimes just to have a look at somewhere where things are just viewed through a different, I think the phrase I use is a different lens, really. And I think sometimes you need to be, you know, I, I watched a very, uh, uh, quite an old, uh, uh, I think it was Danish TV advert looking at any, basically looking at inclusion. I'll put it in the chat on Tuesday. I'll, 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 for the Twitter, I will find it for the Twitter chat, but it basically was, Oh, that's interesting. And I wouldn't, and I, and I got forwarded that by, by somebody who just said, you're going to find this interesting. And I just would have, would have, I would never have come into my field. And it was just an interesting way of just looking at things in a slightly different way, really. Uh, I think what's all technology is coming next is an interesting one. I've got no, you know, everybody asks me what's coming next. I think, I think, I think, I think the tools were really, 
there's some interesting stuff happening but i think the real thing is around the whole that use of data and how we how we have control of our own data maybe but also how we can filter data and how we can look for how we can uh use it and how we can curate it i'm really slightly disheartened in some ways by my memory isn't as great as it used to be if i'm really honest and the fact is how you how you tag and how you you curate stuff within twitter thing where did i see that did i see that on twitter did i see that x y and z and i think that's really interesting how we try not to lose some key facts because in the old days i'd just you know i don't know what a bookmarked rss feeds or something along those lines uh and i just don't do that anymore and that's quite sad i think really and i think i could do some tools that allow me to curate or augment my memory and I think that's quite an interesting area of development. And that might feel you were talking earlier about one of your future people were talking about care robots and stuff like that. And I think that yeah. whole idea of how you have a, a digital assistant. And I, you know, I'm on my bio, I'm on record of saying, you know, I always describe the mobile phone as that, you know, it's like, the, you know, the device to rule them all. It's not, but it is, it is absolutely, it is like the communicator on the Star Trek Enterprise. I use it as a life support system. That's my main tool for cheating with dyslexia, my mobile phone. I use a diary. I use a diary extensively. I use voice text extensively, and it just allows me to become digitally organised. I was really shocked a few years ago, and I was talking to a lady called Gronier O'Connell, who's an academic, and she was talking about kids being digitally chaotic rather than digitally organised. And I thought that was a, an interesting phrase, and I wasn't sure she was right, but there was, she was saying that you were more likely, if you were a child, if you had a child or a young person, to have a, an account, and if you lost the account password, you were more likely to make a new account than you were to bother to reset the password. And I just thought, whoa, that was it. And I thought, no, that's not true. And I think sometimes well, maybe it is true, I don't know. I've, um, I've fallen foul of that, in fact. Um, so I've done that on, on at least one, one account where um, after the fact, we've tried to merge the accounts and it's had interesting effects. So I can apply settings in my sole remaining account because the other one has been supposedly deleted so i've turned off email alerts and everything like that you check it and as they're all turned off i still get emails i still uh, get all of the things it's and living it's, it's living somewhere it's living somewhere on a server still because they've merged the two accounts and they haven't sort of deleted it properly <laughs> Because they're not, they're not trying to deliberately spam me because my wife has an account with the same company and the settings work for her. It's because I've created an account, forgotten about it, abandoned it, created a new one and tried to <laughs> merge it after the fact. And I, th I think from a collective member that 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 tools and that curation and, and and that thing you were just all talking about is really an interesting one because that, you know it, it, they often say that you know we are the generation that's going to take the most photographs and potentially leave the least you know the most photographs in history and make the least you know and 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 leave the least uh, evidence around depending on how we archive our photographs how we backup devices whether we throw mobile phones away drop them down the you know drop them down the toilet or whatever as everywhere or into the into the, the bucket of water and washing the car or that kind of stuff and i think that's quite an interesting one how, how we there's gonna be a whole area around digital forensics and 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 all of those things i think also help with you know with um again feeding back into the ai with accessibility stuff i mean i think there's some whole things about ai being used a predictive tool for conditions that are maybe when thing when you're 
spotting things that you maybe would miss yourself and that's a whole area of medical care which i think is going to be really interesting 100 percent. so um the, the sort of prediction and memory stuff is is, is is kind of exciting to me a little bit scary also depending on on where it goes who owns that data um but we definitely need it because the volume of information is is so great that it's it's unmanageable without some kind of help. We've we've reached the end of our our time. Thank you very much. Cool. It's been a real pleasure, as always, talking with you, Andy. Thank uh, you very much. To, to thank, thank uh, our supporters, my tier text, Barclays Access, and, and Microlink for continuing to help us keep the lights on, stay captioned, and stay on air. So, thank you again, and we'll we'll see you on Twitter on Tuesday. Okay. Thank you very much. That cool?